Good morning, church. Well, it's almost Christmas again, and I asked several of you, and you've got some work to do before the 25th, and um, so that you'll be thoroughly ready. I want to take responsibility as your pastor to help you get ready spiritually for what God wants to do in your life over the next three weeks. And so for the next three Sundays leading up to the birth of Christ, our celebration of his birth, we're going to focus on joy, the topic of joy. And so the series of messages will look at different passages from the Christmas story found in the New Testament. And we're going to call it the gift of joy because each one highlights some truth about joy that you and I very much need. The title of this morning's message is Unwrap the Gift. Unwrap the Gift. The focus today is going to be found in Luke chapter 1. And if you have not already found it, I want to encourage you to turn to that chapter. We're going to be looking at the life of Mary when she enters the Christmas story. Luke chapter 1. And I'm going to focus, I'm going to open us up by focusing on verse 46. And what follows from verse 46 through uh, verse uh, 55 is what's called in church history, church tradition, the Magnificat. And, and Magnificat is a Latin word, and in the Latin translation of this passage, the Magnificat, that's the first word that appears. Uh, my soul magnifies the Lord, Mary says, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior, and that's our word for joy. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant, for behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. Pray with me. Father, we pray that the truth of what was happening to Mary in this moment, of what you were doing in her and through her, that that truth would sink deeply into our heart today. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come among us and that you would be our teacher. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In the summer of 2014, there's a research organization called Pew Research, P-E-W, Pew Research, and they study religious activity, they study uh, social trends and social behaviors in America, and last summer they were studying uh, the perception of different religious groups in America, how different groups were perceived. And so they took a scale, on a scale of 1 to 100, and they asked a bunch of people the same questions about different groups, evangelical Christians, Jews, uh, mainline Protestants, Mormons, Hindus, Buddhists. They, they asked these questions of these people about everybody else. How do you view these different religious groups? 
and they used a scale of 0 to 100, 100 being, when I think of this group, it creates warm feeling in me. I have a real positive perception of them if they're near 100, just like a thermometer, it's warmer at 100. And then towards 0, the closer you get to that, the more of a chill I have when I think about that particular group. Overall, evangelical Christians, and that's who we tend to be classified as. We are people who are evangelical. We believe in good news and preaching the gospel. We believe in the scripture. Overall, evangelical Christians got a 61% in America. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was in school, that was not a good grade. That was used to be something like a low D, depending on where you went. Now, when we look at ourselves, evangelical Christians, we give ourselves an 82%. And I would hope we would give ourselves a better grade. But that's still, isn't that a low B? And that's where we give ourselves, which means that a lot of us don't think so much of ourselves. Uh, Non-religious people, people who have no religious affiliation, they look at us and give us a 41. I need a jacket when it's 41. Atheists give us a 28. And, uh, of course, we give them a 25. So we don't think too warmly of them either. In fact, when you ask for our perception of other groups, of all the religious groups in America, evangelical Christians, we have the most negative feelings in America towards Buddhists, 39%, Hindus, 38 Mormons, 47 Atheists, 25 and Muslims, 30 And so of all the religious groups in America, we are perceived with less warmth less of a positive point of view than anybody else. And we tend to view everybody else the same way. Now, it is true that Jesus said that we would be hated by everyone on account of his name. That's recorded for us in Matthew 10 and Mark 13. But that was not uh, to be because of our character or because of the way we behaved or the way we talked about others. It was to be on account purely and only because of his name. In fact, one of the qualifications for church leadership in 1 Timothy 3 verse 7 says, he must also have a good reputation with outsiders. Our reputation right now is not very good. In Colossians chapter 4 verses 5 and 6 says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of Grace, grace, you know, grace is irresistible when you get around a gracious man or a gracious woman. And so that's really hard to do. I'm going to argue today, if you and I are cold, if you and I lack joy, if we suffer from joylessness, and of all times of year for you and I to think about what joy is, this is the time, and we're going to do that over the next three weeks. You can't read the New Testament without seeing joy expressed in the people of God. Even the worst circumstances. They are beaten, they are arrested, they are persecuted, they come out of the jail and they're singing and they're rejoicing. We're expected to be joyful. It's the dominant quality or theme of God's people. In John 15, 11, Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. In Romans 14, 17, the Apostle Paul says, if anything else goes on in your church, 
Let it be about joy. He says, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Years later, when Peter wrote to Christians who were being persecuted, Peter wrote, 1 Peter 1, 6, he said, you have been grieved by various trials. Here were people who were suffering in the early church. They were being persecuted. They were experiencing hardship. And then he says in verse 8, though now you do not see him, Jesus, yet believing, remember that because that's going to come back to us in a moment, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, joy unspeakable, even while suffering, even while experiencing great loss and sorrow. There is a marker of joy in the life of God's people. And that goes on into the early part of church history. Uh, it goes on today in those parts of the world where Christians are persecuted for their faith. They still are known as a people of great joy. The question I have and that I pose this to myself as well as to the church that I'm a part of is do I know this joy? Do I know this joy? If it was real for them, Shouldn't it be a reality in my own life? Shouldn't I be known as a man who is joyful? And I have found that challenging at many points in my life, and to do it consistently has been a challenge. And so I want us to see what I think is the most important way for you and I to know joy. I want us to see that this morning. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to organize our study by looking at Mary and asking three questions. Here's the first question I want us to ask. Can a Christian live without joy? Can a Christian live without joy? And to help us, I, I've got a, a video of the passage of Scripture that I want us to see. It's verses 26 through 38. Uh, watch this, and then I'm going to make some observations that I want you to see. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, 
your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, if you have your Bibles and you're looking at verses 26 to 38, I want you to notice some things quickly. In verse 29, it says, when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying. You see that in verse 29? When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what matter of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. What does that tell you was happening to Mary? What was happening to her? She was afraid. Look now at verse 34 in the middle of this, this section. It says, Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I do not know a man? She's not challenging, but she is inquiring. She's trying to wrap her mind around what's happening to her. She knows that she's about to become an unwed mother. She knows that more than likely, she doesn't know the whole end of the story yet, but she knows more than likely she's about to have a baby out of wedlock, and her life is going to be ruined socially. She's going to be an outcast. People are going to say things about her negatively. And in fact, they did for the rest of her life. There were these rumors and stories about her integrity and about her morality. And then at verse 38, at the end of this section, it says, Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. She submits, she surrenders, but there's no joy yet. There's no Magnificat yet. There's no Christmas carol yet. It's coming, but it hasn't happened yet. And you know, sometimes you and I can be like that about following Christ. We can submit to Him. We can surrender to Him. We can say yes to Him, but there's no joy in our heart. There's no mention of joy yet. So I want you to notice that it's possible to live your life without joy. Again, just making some observations here. First, you can still know that God is with you. In verse 28, the angel told her, the Lord is with you. You can be a Christian. You can know that you're saved. You can know that God is with you. He has promised to be with you. He would always be with you and still not have joy. Secondly, you can still see that God is using you. In verse 31, she's told that you will bear forth a son. God's at work in her life. God's using her. And sometimes you can know that God is using you and still not have joy. Thirdly, you can still accept that God is working in you. You can accept that God is working in you. In verse 34, it says the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And, of course, the Holy Spirit, he's the one that changes you and me. He's the one that does work inside of us. And I can recognize his activity in me, convicting me, pointing the way for me, guiding me, and still lack joy. And then number four, you can still commit yourself to serving God. She does it, doesn't she? Let it be to me according to your word, she says in verse 38. And she's still not experiencing joy. But here's what I want to argue today. Jesus did not come and die on the cross to make you miserable. He died to deliver you from misery. He died to bring joy, not to bring suffering. He said we'd have it. He said we'd have trouble in the world. 
But at the same time, there was this expectation that among the people of God, you and I would experience a joy, a true spiritual form of happiness that no one could take away from you and from me. You know, with modern technology, we have, we have made great advances in unleashing communication and information through the internet and through cell phones. At the same time, we've made it harder and harder to unwrap Christmas presents. At the same time, you can have shrink wrap, which defies all attempts to tear it. You can have fiber strapping that some knives won't cut. Adhesives that you can't get off with dynamite. Plastic so hard that you, can, you need a can opener to open the plastic package. I ran across a poem about this, and here's what it says. Your cartons and bags I can't cut with a knife. The strength of your cardboard, fantastic. I'm sure I've spent easily half of my life just fighting my way into plastic. Your labels resist any solvent on earth. Your tape is as tough as an ox. I paid for my purchase, but what is it worth if I can't get it out of the box? And some of us are that way about joy. We know that we possess joy. We know that God wants us to be joyful, and we come to the most joyful part of the Christmas, uh, the, the church year, the Christmas event, and some of us are still struggling with joy. But there is a way, and that brings me to the second question. How does joy come? How does joy come? And now I'm going to call your attention to Romans 15, verse 13. And here's what I'm doing. I want to lay kind of a foundation for a basic truth about joy, that there's God's part and our part. And I want you to see that in Romans 15, verse 13. And then we're going to come back with the last question and see it illustrated in the life of Mary. So how does joy come? Here's the verse, Romans 15, verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's so much in this, in this one verse, but I'm just isolating the truth that you and I need about joy. Three observations or insights. First, joy is a gift from God. Joy is a gift from God. It says, may the God of hope fill you. That tells me immediately that no one else can fill me with the joy. Um, a person can't do that. Sometimes we think that if only I had a different spouse, I would be happy. Some people think if I just had a spouse, I would be happy. And notice what the text says. It says, may the God of hope fill you. He is the one who gives joy. He is the source. It's not in a person. It's not in a place. Sometimes I think if I could move, if I could go to a different kind of a, a place or a different kind of situation, a different kind of job, whatever the case may be, then I'll know joy. I would be really happy if I could go to that place. And yet the scripture says, may the God of hope fill you. It comes from him. It's not in a place. Sometimes we think it's a matter of possession, that if I just had this thing or, or this, this object or this kind of home or this kind of this, this piece of furniture, the next thing is what's going to make me happy. And yet the scripture says, may the God of hope fill you. He is the source. It comes from him and nowhere else. Second observation, joy is an inner work of the Holy Spirit. Joy is an inner work of the Holy Spirit. 
He says, may the God of hope fill you. And then at the end of the passage, he says, by the power of the Holy Spirit. How does God fill you? When you come to know Christ, when you have turned from your sin, and you said, God, I can't save myself from my sin. I can't, I can't be forgiven for my sin. I've got to turn to you, and I go to the cross, and on the cross, he dies for my sin. And when I trust him, I'm not just forgiven for my sin. And I think the thing that's missing most among us as believers in North America is this truth. It's not that he just forgives me for my sin, but he puts within me a new nature, his Holy Spirit, to conform me to the image of Christ, to transform me into his likeness. And so the Holy Spirit lives in me. Now, where does joy come from? It comes from God. Who is the Holy Spirit? God. In Galatians 5.22, it tells us that the fruit of the Spirit, and it lists nine things, but the third one is, the second one is joy. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is a personality that God is forming inside of every one of his sons and daughters. And the Holy Spirit is the one who is the producer and the author of that personality. And if I lack joy, it comes ultimately from the Holy Spirit, who is God, producing joy in me. Now that's God's part, that over the course of my life, he wants to make me a joyful person. Now some of us, when we get to the end of life, we will only have advanced just a very short distance in becoming a joyful person. Others of us will have advanced a great distance. And we're going to see how in just a moment. But just remember in Galatians 5 where it says the fruit of the Spirit, His work in your life is to create this personality of love and joy and peace and so forth. In that same passage, he tells us twice to walk in the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit. So there's God's part and then there's my part. I have to cooperate with what He's doing. And in the next couple of weeks, we'll see more clearly what that looks like. But for now, I want you to see the joys and inner work of the Holy Spirit. But what about my part? Here's the third observation. Joy comes as I release control over my life to him. You're going to have to look very carefully at this passage to see this truth. But it is the truth. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. In believing, in believing. For those of you who like technical things, that in believing it's a preposition, and it's a preposition of means in the original language. One of the reasons I believe that God inspired the New Testament to be written in Greek is because it's incredibly precise. And what he's saying is that God's going to fill you with joy and hope. How? In believing, as you believe, while you're believing. As you put your trust in him, as you put your rest in him, then joy comes. You say, well, I trusted Jesus to save me years ago. I've already put my trust in Christ, and I still struggle with joy. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about an active, ongoing believing. See, one of the ways that we understand belief is just with our heads. Well, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe Jesus died for me on the cross. 
I believe that he's going to return again one day, the judge, the living and the dead. And I believe these things with my head. That's not what he's talking about here. He fills you with joy and peace as you are believing now. What does that mean? It means as you rest in him. As you rest in him. How could a Christian in the early days sing joyfully as they were marched out into the Colosseum to be persecuted and destroyed and killed? How could they do that with joy? Why? Because they were resting in him. He's got this. He's going to take care of me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I'm headed to a better place. I'm headed to something far more amazing, far more grand, far more wonderful. And it's not the end of anything. This is the beginning. And they are resting in that. You and I get so caught up, and I've got to do this to make life right. I've got to do this to make my life go. I've got to do this to be the kind of man God wants me to be or the kind of woman that God wants me to be. I've got to do this and this and this and this. And we're not resting in Christ. We're not saying, Lord, you've got this. We're not saying that I trust you, Lord, and I'm giving you everything right now. I'm I'm letting go. My control over my life, my control over my decisions, my control over my future, my control over these circumstances, my control over this situation, my control over this person or that person I'm struggling with or having difficulty with in my family or outside of my family. God, I just let it go. This begins to make sense when you realize that Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To have a poverty of spirit is to be a person who walks and moves with an incredible sense of need. One of the reasons some of us aren't more joyful is we never saw fully our need for Christ when we were saved. We need to come and understand how utterly helpless we are without Christ. Always, always. Later on in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. God, I want to be a better man. I want to be a different kind of man. You put this desire in me. I I hunger for it. I thirst for it. It's the person who senses their need who is filled, who is filled. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, resting in him. Third question. How can I experience joy in my life? We're going to come back to Mary now. Mary experienced joy by letting go. That's what we're talking about. Mary experienced joy by letting go. In verse 39 we read, Now Mary arose in those days and went to the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the baby leaped in her womb. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed is a word that means happy. But Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed For there will be a fulfillment of those which were told her from the Lord. Mary let go. Mary let go. First, you and I can experience joy as you accept 
your unexpected circumstances. You see, when unexpected things happen to you and me, we tend to not be like Mary. Mary went to the hill country, it says, with great haste. She knew as she went that she was potentially losing her fiancé. She was losing her reputation. She was losing her family. She was losing everything. But that was the circumstance that she was in. It was not expected. And sometimes you and I struggle and we fight with unexpected circumstances instead of just stepping back and saying, Lord, I know you got this. This doesn't take you by surprise. And Lord, I give it to you. And I trust you. And Lord, I rejoice in who you are. And I rejoice in what you are doing. Accept your unexpected circumstances. Second way I see her letting go and that will help you and I to experience joy is to seek out and involve yourself in a spiritual community. Seek out and involve yourself in a spiritual community. When she came into the house, it says Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice. The angel, you'll remember, at the end of the conversation he had with her, he said, by the way, Elizabeth, your cousin, is expecting a child. And she knew how old Elizabeth was. She knew how long Elizabeth had waited for a child. She didn't get this news by email. She got it from the angel. But why did the angel tell her that? Well, her conclusion was, I'm accepting what's happening to me, but I need to go talk to Elizabeth. The angel said, He didn't tell her to go see Elizabeth, but obviously there's something special about Elizabeth, and she goes to see Elizabeth. And then the most remarkable thing happens, and we're going to see this in just a moment, but it's her encounter with Elizabeth that releases joy in her life. Now, can I make just a real simple, plain observation? There are are channels of joy that God wants to bring into your life that he cannot bring into your life if you sit at home by yourself. That he uses... Christian community. He uses spirit-filled brothers and sisters, that he uses your Bible study groups, people that you know here who know Christ. And you know, sometimes we think it doesn't matter whether I go to church or not. It doesn't matter whether I'm in my Bible study group or not. If something else comes up, it's better. I don't have to be there. And, and, and what we do is we're saying that, that I'm not getting anything out of this, and certainly nobody's going to get anything out of what I bring to that conversation and yet what we see is that Mary said I can't I can't be alone and I need to be with someone someone who's going to understand what I'm experiencing someone who is spirit-filled someone who is who is in love with God the way I'm in love with God and so she let go of her independence she let go of her isolation she let go of her her anxiety that somebody would find out and she just picked up and she went to the hell country and she went to Elizabeth. There's a third way I see her letting go, and that's this, and this is what you and I need to do. Rest in who he is and what he is doing. Rest in who he he is and what he is doing. Now, I want you to see at the very uh, beginning of verse 45 that the last thing Elizabeth says to her is, blessed is she who believed. Now remember back in Romans 15, we said that believing, resting in the Lord was a real key to God filling you with joy. Saying, I'm not going to worry about this, I'm not going to hang on to this, I'm not going to try to fix this, I'm just going to rest in the Lord. And, And Elizabeth saw some things going on 
that I believe with all my heart Mary needed to see. Why should the mother of my Lord come to me? And suddenly she's referring to the baby inside of her as Lord. And it, and it, and it confirms what the angel had said to her about this baby. They didn't have any conversation. She walks in, Elizabeth has this outburst, this, this insight, this revelation, and she calls the baby the mother of my Lord. And then later, in verse 45, she, uh, she comes down to the inn and she says, um, Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Now which is it? Did God send the baby and then send a promise? Is he the same Lord? Is the baby the Lord and the one sending the baby the Lord? Yes. Is the baby the Lord and the one telling her the promise of God? Is he also the Lord? Yes. And this is amazing because we have echoes of the Trinity here. We have the Father being represented. We have the Son being represented. And Elizabeth is kind of putting this all together and she's rejoicing and she's saying these amazing things and she says, blessed is she who believed. That's when it clicked for her. It just clicked. Something happened to that moment. I believe that everything she knew at that moment was going to be okay. And she rested her hope fully on God and what he was doing in her life. In verse 46, the rest of this it says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit, it's, and the translation says, has rejoiced, literally is rejoicing. My spirit is rejoicing and rejoicing and rejoicing and rejoicing in the Lord. It's nonstop. So she's resting everything in God. He is the source of her joy. It comes to her as she believes and she rests in him. Um, Adam, would you come up here just a moment? I'm going to ask you to help me do something. He said, ruh row. Adam, come up here, friend. How many of y'all know Adam? Oh, there's a few people here that know you. Come over here, Adam, for just a second. I want you to stand right here. Just kind of turn this way. I got something I want you to hold, okay? All right, I got something I want you to hold. I want you to hold this. Got it? Okay. I want you to hold this. Got it? I want you to hold this. I want you to hold this. Got it? Okay. I want you to hold this. Okay, now turn and face everybody. All right. What has he got? Boxes. Boxes. Christmas presents he's loaded down. Okay? And um, now, what what is likely his answer going to be if I say, now, Adam, without letting go of a single box, I want you to unwrap this one. That'd be kind of challenging, wouldn't it? We're not even going to try it, okay? But, but what does he have to do before he can unwrap this box? He's got to put the other ones down, doesn't he? He's got to let them go. Go ahead and let them go in that box right there, Adam. Y'all thank Adam for helping me with that. That's good. That's good. Thank you. All right, so I think you're going to get this. It's really simple. Why don't I experience joy? I'm holding on to so much already. 
and he wants to fill me with joy, but how can he fill something that's already filled up with other stuff? I'm holding on to my future, my plans. What did Mary have to do with her plans? I'm holding on to my independence. I can handle this on my own. What did she have to do with her independence? You know, she couldn't do it alone. And, and I'm hanging on to my future, my direction. I'm thinking that I got this. I can be and I can do on my own. And I'm hanging on to all of that. I tell you what, that's just not a lot of fun. And so what do I have to do? I've got to let it go. To unwrap the gift of joy. I've got to rest in him. Here's the bottom line. Bottom line. The gift of joy can only be received by empty hands. The gift of joy can only be received by empty hands. The old hymn says, nothing in my hand I bring simply to the cross I claim. And if you and I are going to know joy, it's going to be just like that. Just like that. I've got to look in my heart. What am I worried about? What am I anxious about? What am I trying to figure out? What am I trying to solve? In what areas of my life have I kept God at distance? Have I kept my, my church at a distance? Have I kept my friends at a distance? A- am, I, am I listening to what God is saying to me through all the channels that God has put into my life? Am I letting go? Am I resting in Him? This life of trust, believing, is a life of joy. And the more you and I trust, the more we can know and be filled with joy. That begins initially when a person comes and puts their trust into Christ to save them from their sin, to forgive their sin, and to change their heart, to give them a new personality that comes through the Holy Spirit's work. If you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's why the baby came in the manger. That's why Jesus died on the cross, was to rescue you from the enemies of your soul. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. And I'm going to invite you to come and trust Christ if you've never trusted him before. If you're a brother or sister and you're hurting, and you know every, every time Christmas comes around, for some of us, it's a whole new experience. Because this year, we're experiencing a crisis, a loss, a pain, a hurt that we've not experienced before. And it's, it's bothering us and it's gripping us And I want to say to you that just like the saints of old, there is a way to rest in him and to release those pressures into his hands. And we would love to pray with you. If you're a brother or sister and you're struggling in this matter of joy, we'd love to pray with you and help you unload and unwrap this gift that God has for you. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us through it. And Holy Spirit, now, now in these moments, would you guide us? Speak to that person who is crying in their heart, who needs to know the joy of the Lord. You have called us to rejoice in you always. I pray today would be life-changing for someone, for that one who's calling on you right now. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.